Pod, 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 Pod. Rugby Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Gertie are with me as usual. We'll be looking back on a weekend where Scotland came crashing back down to earth. Wales and England got back on track and France were the only team left at the end of it with their Grand Slam hopes still intact. Plus we'll be catching up with France Locke and probably the last guy you'd want to get in the scrap with, Paul Williamson. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendour. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Happy Valentine's Day, lads. Anything special on the cards? I did get a card and a present for my better half. That's about it. I mean, when you're together 10 years, you, you don't take them out for a meal or anything, do you? It's a birthday on Saturday as well, so it's a fucking expensive month, let's be honest. You just recycle the last year's Valentine's Day present. <laughs> the toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> on the Valentine's Day thing, I don't know whether I can ask this or not, but I'm going to. With bat flu, which I seem to have had, can you catch it? by sucking each other's toes or not, because I need to find a way to get close to Beck. I've been away for four or five days and I'm not feeling the freshest and I'm not making an excuse. If I wasn't absolutely laser sharp and my shell wasn't worth $10 million, any other man would be on the floor right now. What I'm trying to say is I'm ill. Jim's ill, eh? And what's happened then? So you've obviously had a busy few days. I mean, let's rewind the clock to Thursday night, the live show at Vinegar Yard in London. It happened again, didn't it? Promised ourselves that we wouldn't go too hard. I had, you know, Thursday night at the live show. Friday, I was interviewing Jono at Leicester. Saturday, I'm working at Wasps. Sunday, I'm hosting in London. I said to myself, no, I'm not going hard Thursday night. Tell the 15 pints out responsibly again. I mean, what a pair of idiots. Is that where it started for you, Jim? Because you had a busy weekend as well. I've seen a lot of people since then, so I don't want to say that. But I imagine the immune system went from 100% down to 0% after that. So... (laughs) There's a good chance that might have been the start of the demise. And I could sit here and make excuses and the fact that it was Scotland losing's fault, but it's not. I am man down, and I'm going to say because I'm quarter Chinese, I am a man down in Chinatown, lads. And you talk about fronting up, good job we're on Zoom is all I'm saying because I'll be driving down there with me head out the window like a bat out of hell. And you can say that, and that is a pun intended. So, yeah, I'm struggling. (laughs) And let's not just blame the live show from Thursday, let's blame it from the week before as well. The immune system is at ground zero. It is literally, it's underneath that, if you can get under that. Minus ground zero. So 
Let's see if we can speed through this. We won't talk about the Scotland game. We can talk about the, the classic, which was the England-Italy game. And I ain't ever going out again. And Beck's getting a toe in the mouth tonight because you can't catch back through, through the mouth with a toe. Toe in the mouth, eh, Jim? That's the romance in your house. That's all that's left. That's all that's available. No, it's not. But that's it. That's the last, the last stand. You know, the last march is the toe in the mouth. That's it. I've got nothing else. I can't do anything else. Last Thursday, I said to the missus, don't worry, I'll be home. I'll probably get the last train home. I'll be home before one. And obviously, it was significantly later than that. Uh, I've got back. The door's bolted shut. I'm trying to open it. I watched myself walk in the next day. So we've got cameras at the house. And I thought, what an idiot. What an absolute idiot. When you watch it in the cold light of day, you're trying to put the key in the lock and you're missing and all that stuff. You understand why the missus gets annoyed with you. So... Um, then recovery mode Friday-ish to get up to Leicester on Friday night. Interview Jono. My God, that man can hold a room like no one else. And I get it, right? 2003 World Cup winning captain. I asked him about Jim Hamilton dominating him in training. He said he can't even remember Jim Hamilton at the club, let alone being dominated by him. But my goodness me, there was 600 people in the room. You could hear a pin drop. Do you remember I told you that story about Jono? He was at a lunch recently and we're talking about the GOAT, as in there ain't anyone better. Richie McCaw, you put him in the same bracket as Jono. And he's at a lunch, he's just enjoying it, doing a bit of Q&A, talking all that ruggers, talking about the mall, talking about scrum positioning. And next thing, questions to the floor. Some idiot says, Jono, how's your bush? <laughs> My God. I don't know who talks about that shit. I, like, who talks about that? Because that is... And if you do talk about it, you don't talk about it with Jono, even though his best mate, Cosa, was the one who started the chat. But... If you see Jono, don't ask him. Jono, Johnny, or Richie. Oh, I can tell you now, three bushes. But don't ask them. Just take our word for it. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a contrast, actually, because you talk about bushes and you talk about interviewing Jono. On the Saturday, I had a chat with Malachi Fekatona on my old selfie. I mean, I'm sat there thinking, we're on stage. There's another five, 600 people in, in hospitality. I'm asking the questions. And all I could think of was, shall I get the selfie on, on the big screen right now? And if I do... How long have I got to run before he absolutely annihilates me? <laughs> well, you guys are going to have to uh, get back in the good books before next week. Cardiff Live show. Uh, we'll be joined by Welsh Grand Slam winning captain and British and Irish Lion legend Ryan Jones. We've heard he's loose and he has a great voice, so make sure you get yourself along next Thursday. It's the only show that hasn't sold out so far, so we still have a couple of tickets left. Just search the Rugby Pod on Eventbrite. Let's start with Scotland then, shall we, Jim? What happened? Oh, I know. I mean, I know. Where, where do you want to start? Where shall we start? Grand Slam. You know, you're going to win the title. You're all fart no poo. Sorry, I mean, sorry. You go, Jim. You go. Well, you said it there. Everything you said, I think I said. My one point where I changed my mind, well, there was two. So I was with the great Scott Quinnell and that man. I mean, he made me want to run through a wall through this corporate lounge. I actually did, actually, to get to the seats. I heard him speak about what Wales needed to do around the passion, the fact they're at, they're at home and everything. And he was getting emotional. I was crying. And the next thing, we're holding each other and basically doing the hacker. <laughs> uh, that was the point where I was like, mm, it could be tougher than the expert Jim Hamilton thinks. And then I get out into the stadium and we spoke about it last week and we speak about it all the time. Whoever we speak to, we're talking about one of the great stadiums, the great rugby cities in the world. The greatest. It is the greatest. Let's, let's call it here. The greatest rugby city in the world. And I'm there with Kelly Brown, unbelievable set of eyebrows. Ryan Jones is behind us, apparently played a few games for Wales. And Scotland did the anthem, all good. I mumbled my way through it. And then the Welsh anthem unleashed, right? The flames went up after. And at that point, I was like, 
we're fucked. <laughs> did you get a tingle? I, I did. I mean, it was. It, it, you could just feel it. You could just feel. And Goody, we've been there as players, right? And you can't explain it sometimes. Once the anthems was done and the energy, and obviously we weren't there in Ireland, so we don't know what the energy was like. It would have been clearly less for the Welsh team. Felt different. And then from the off in that game, it looked different. And it's one of them, I think, for hope and again, and you think of history gone by. We said the same three years ago, four years ago, whenever John Barkley retired, is his last Six Nations, where we're like, yeah, Scotland going to beat Wales this year. Two intercept passes or whatever, and Wales end up pumpkin us. But this time it felt like... Don't you say every year, though? We do. Beat them two years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not in Cardiff, though, eh? Well, just outside. I mean, effectively the same. Scarlet's, that's the left, isn't it? It's like Coven Leicester. It's basically it's England, is it? No, it's Wales. But, yeah, I think, <laughs> I suppose, the emotional side in me. And also, look, you know, we like to have a crack. And you want to back your team. Of course you do. I want to back Scotland all the way. But you look at Wales. You look at Dan Bigger on his 100th Test match. Foxy, Jonathan Davis coming on. The physicality they've got. Ross Moriarty coming back in. Who I was like, actually, is he fit? My goodness me, he's going around mm-hmm. monstering people. And this is what we always say. When the Welsh's backs are against the wall, that's when they're at the best. And the thing is for Wales, they won that game, I'd say, even though there's three points in it, fairly comfortably. We actually didn't look like winning that game in that second half at any point at all. And again, a load of stuff's come out. You know, I did a, an interview for Rugby Pass. I've done an article in the Times. I'm s- saying what I see. And I mentioned discipline. I think it was 13 penalties to eight or something. It might have been six. 13 penalties anyway to Scotland, which isn't a huge amount, but it's double the amount effectively that Wales had. And the yellow card again. And I've called Finn out and people are like, who are you to talk about discipline? I'm mates with Finn. We're mates with Finn. True though, isn't it? Very true. The irony. I've never been red carded. You never had a red card in your whole career? You have? Not for Scotland. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> Not for Scotland. I've had two or three in my career, and my goodness me. But I say I, I say that around Finn because he's our best player. Yeah. That's why, if I got red card or yellow card, it was probably a benefit for the team. <laughs> so True. you've got to say it how it is, right? And we love Finn and we talk about him, and I've been opened up a little bit online. And again, there seems to be a real, maybe because I'm vulnerable at the minute, but there seems to be a real shift with the interaction online. Before it was banter, now it just seems a bit more poisonous. I don't know whether because we've been locked up for a couple of years, but we've got to say it how it is. Finn goes off with 12 minutes to go. And we're talking about a best player that can do anything at any time. And we've seen that in many games. Against a Welsh team that are winning the breakdown, they're winning the inches, they're winning the physicality, the energy's in the ground. And at that point, you're like, yeah, we're, we're going to struggle here today. So, look, it's not about opening the fit up. There's a number of reasons we didn't win. They were making line breaks. Our defence weren't as good. Quote, unquote, before the game, I said, we'll dominate them at line-out time. Next thing, we're getting more to the cow shed to back and they end up scoring off it. So... Things that we're notoriously good at, we weren't good at, and Wales were better at. And they, look, they fully deserved it. Absolutely fully deserved it. And it's a, it's not a rude awakening for Scotland, but it's one of them where you have to go back to the drawing book, don't you? Drawing book? What are you drawing? The drawing board is, is the same. But yeah, mate, if you want to draw some pictures in a book. Do you draw boards? Yeah, the blackboard at school I used to draw on. I used to draw a willy. But it's not that. You go back to the drawing board, James, not the drawing book. But hey, go back to the drawing book. Draw some pictures. I love it. Exactly. and then, But the headline thing around the game, not the headline thing, obviously the headline thing was Finn's yellow card, and it's easy to talk about that. But Dan Bigger as well, having the, the gonads to go for the drop goal, which I was surprised at the time because they had a couple of penalties before and they went to the corner. So you're thinking, well, why would you go for the drop goal now when you've just been hammering it for the last five minutes and come away with nothing? But again, what the hell do we know? That proved the winning drop goal of the game. And I'm not like you last week, Goody, put it this way. We deserve to win. 
you know, we did this, we did that, and we deserve to win, which you said a lot last week. And On that note, there's a couple of things. So basically the second part of that first half, Scotland were fairly dominant and they could have extended the lead and had more opportunities and that would have put Wales under real pressure. The second half, it was a game of two halves, wasn't it? The second half, Scotland, when Finn's going from a drop goal from 45 metres out, he's got all the skill in the world and he's going for a drop goal from a goal line dropout in the wet and the rain and all that stuff. They changed the way they played a little bit and then you've got to talk about it. What he was thinking, and we did it about Luke Cowan-Dickey last week, Luke Cowan-Dickey's in a position he's never been in his life, probably. Finn Russell, that's just an absolute brain fart, isn't it? He obviously sees a big lad coming at him, so he tries to fly at the line and either go for the intercept or whatever, but he ain't even close to going to the intercept, is he? Discipline is, is a massive issue in any team at times, and 13 penalties is a lot. And I read some stuff over the weekend around people's perception of Finn. I think Finn's a, a world-class player, but he does have these moments, doesn't he, where you know sometimes it'll affect the team in a bad way, and sometimes he's, you know, he's the match winner. But that is the the player that he is, and you know, unfortunately, it's gone against him this week. You know, you go back to the red card against France last last year that you mentioned. It didn't affect the game in the end because they won it at the death. You know, there's the yellow card that they had against England last year as well. But he's this high profile player that you know puts himself in these these positions, unfortunately, where he is going to get scrutinised, and you don't want to pile it all on him. That the whole collective Scotland team, their discipline was was pretty bad, but it was always coming. Like with Wales, you knew there was. I read something that Basham said at the start of the week. He's like there'll be a completely different feeling, and there was. And all I'm saying to Scotland fans, how lucky are you for Eddie Jones? If Eddie Jones hadn't made those decisions and, and changes that you made last week, then you'd be playing for the wooden spoon again, boys. Oh, should have, could have, would have. <laughs> is all I'm saying. It's what it's done though is open up the championship massively, which is class to see. You know, if it wasn't for England getting the lucky win against Italy, uh, it wouldn't be a five-horse race, would it? Boys, you have both played in Cardiff and everyone talks about the crowd. You can hear the crowd on TV. You can, you can hear it when you're at the game. Can you give us some insight into like how much of an impact it makes as a player? I find it difficult to explain to people when they say what it's like. Playing in that stadium a few times, five or six times, the feeling of feeling alive when you run out there, the energy, and especially when the roof's closed, but also when the roof's open, is just, you can't put it into words. In 2010, for the millions that will remember that game, Scotland versus Wales, we were winning with four minutes to go by about 12 or 13 points. I've been subbed off because game's won. Richie Gray's come on for his first gap. They are screaming. They're scre- I don't know why, but they're screaming. I'm thinking we've made it. <laughs> and then you go through the archives, Wales scored two late tries. And I remember standing at the side of the pitch thinking this is going to be a hell of a night either way. But the floor was vibrating like it was genuinely shaking and this is the whole thing around what we've been through the last couple of years the romance around the six nations and the other stadiums you know Paris obviously as well and all of them I can name all of them apart from Twickenham Murrayfield and in Italy although it wasn't full at the weekend that's what it is that's what the six nations is there's no other tournament like it and Cardiff as me and Goody have said loads of times on here is the best rugby city in the world yeah, that crowd in Paris was epic, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. And, you know, I think the French public have fallen out of love a little bit with the French team over the last maybe five or six years. And it became more tribal around the club game. Up until recent changes, you know, they've had their ups and their downs. And you know there's going to be huge peaks and troughs with the French team. Now, the French rugby public are massively behind this French team. The World Cup's in 18 months. You know, you've got superstars like Dupont and Untermack who... You know, people are absolutely adoring and 
the fans are back. I, I remember chatting about a game in Paris, Six Nations game. It was half full. And this was pre-pandemic. It wasn't Italy either. It wasn't a full stadium. You're like, oh, hold on a minute. How does that work? But now the place is absolutely bouncing. And, you know, you expect it to be. Ireland came to town at the weekend. It was, for a lot of people, possibly can consider that as the the deciding game in the championship. Or, you know, it's two of the form teams. They're both beating the All Blacks. We know the, the lead up to it. But my goodness me, the atmosphere sounded unbelievable in there as well. How impressed were you with the physicality of France? That game was a different level. That was on par with what we saw both them teams play when they played the All Blacks. That was it. Yeah. They were both at their very peak. Tweeted about it, of course, just to gain a few followers over the Six Nations weekend. Their runners off nine, their ability around that breakdown, and probably the reason you've got that, I'm talking about both teams, but let's go with France first, is because you've got someone like Dupont who can pick and go harder than most forwards in the world. That ability around the breakdown with quick ball, with the runners... And Antonio, just to name one, Cyril by oh my try. I mean, like no one in the world is stopping it. You ain't stopping it. That is rugby. That is modern day rugby, what we saw in that match. And we've seen Ireland do it on a number of occasions. That's when they're really strong with their forwards, their point of difference. But I think when it's all said and done, though, the scoreline shows there was nothing in it. But France were comfortable for large parts of that. And I think you look at Andy Farrell's interview after the game, he seemed happy because I think... We saw the best version of Ireland in that second half and he knows how good this French team are. And that says a lot for me in terms of, you saw him smiling after, he was like, it was an unbelievable test match. Don't need to say mm. anything more. And if the great Andy Farrell's saying that, then we can sit here and go around the houses on it. Whatever he says is normally right. And he was right. It was it was phenomenal to watch with the intensity that we saw and the backs on show. And Goody, there's a big, big difference between them two teams, it seems, and everyone else. Mate, I mean, you're talking about the French team, and you talk about size and power and all this stuff, and you named a couple, Weenie Antonio. Weenie ain't Weenie, is he? Weenie's absolutely monstrous. Then you bring Denver Bamber off the bench. You've obviously got Wokie and Paul Willemser in the second row. Like Wokie's a unit of a back row, a ridiculous engine on him. And then you, you bring Taufi Fanua off the bench. You've got Gregory Aldrich. I mean, it's ridiculous. The size of them. There ain't no small blokes in that forward pack, is there? There's big, right? And then there is like that just... You can't explain it big. Just... What's the word? Just freaks. Freak, yeah. Freaks of nature in the kindest terms. And there ain't many of us built like that. But you look at the profile of it, there isn't. And this is why South African lads and guys from Samoa and Fiji and Tonga do so well. Because they're freaks of nature in the kindest of senses. And that's with the French forward pack. You can't stop it. As much as you want to, or you think think you want to, you can't. How do you think Carberry went? Do you think Sexton would have made a difference? He looked good to me. Massive game for him. Massive game. And... You look at the build-up to that game, everything around Sexton, he's captain. So you're coming in at captain, you're coming into the hardest position in the team, you've come back from a long injury, I know that he's playing, and you know in the media you've got the weight of not just the media, but everyone in rugby. Can Ireland be any good without Johnny Sexton? And that was the question going into the game. From where I saw, his kicking looked good, he took the ball to the line, and he looked bloody good. And I think that that's the big thing, isn't it, about Irish rugby? Because, look... I feel horrible saying it. You know, Sexton gets injured a lot. He does. He's at that age profile. Here we go again. But he does. He does. It's the proofs in the pudding. And for whatever reason, they want to keep putting him out there. And we've seen Tom Brady in the NFL, and I'm not going to question him again. But there needs to be someone else. There needs to be someone else. And we've seen with Ross and Harry Byrne and Billy Burns, it's not quite worked. And everyone was talking about Joey Carberry. Yes, he was a 15. He got a nasty injury. Could he get back from injury? So I don't know the lad personally, 
But I think it's a massive shift for me in terms of what's coming through with Ireland and I'm just well happy for the lad. Yeah, he did play well. I think when you say, did they miss Sexton? I'd say in actual rugby terms, possibly not. But in that moment when you're talking about taking the three or going for the line out, that's where you think maybe Sexton has a more experienced head in him and thinks actually, you know, this is our opportunity to go for the win. So that's the only thing. I thought Carby played really well. And, and I'm, I'm with Jim. At some point, there needs to be an evolution and there needs to be a player that can fit in seamlessly if Sexton is out injured or if they do rotate. Because we know, I think we all know Sexton's going to try his best to get to that World Cup in 2023 in France and that would be his last act as an Ireland player if he can get there. Obviously, that game in France, it's the biggest game, I think, for Ireland in the, in the tournament and they've given it to Carberry. Obviously, Sexton had a hamstring issue and he did well. So now I think what they've got to do is they're playing Italy in round three, you've got to back Carberry again and give him some confidence. Whether Sexton's fit or not, maybe bring Sexton off the bench. But back Carberry because you're going to need someone, not in a moment of crisis where it's like, shit, Johnny's injured. We actually need someone where we can say, listen, Johnny's fit, but we're still going to pick you. Well, we can have a chat now with one of the members of that victorious French side. Second row, Paul Williamson joins us. How are you, mate? Oh, fine, thanks. And you? Paul, Great to have you, especially off the back of a memorable weekend. How was it against Ireland? The atmosphere looked unbelievable and without getting straight into it, but we'll get straight into it. You lads looked phenomenal. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Yeah, just talking about the atmosphere. Like, uh, I've been like, since the, the last tournament we have in New Zealand and so on, Like, I just feel like the support that, the support that we've been getting in, in France, it's, it's been amazing. It's been super. So obviously yeah, the atmosphere in that stadium was incredible. And the match as well was really, uh, I guess, one of the one of the top tier uh, um, international games. So uh, yeah, that was was kind of a combination of everything that made it a, a, a massive game. And then I can see now you're still in your French gear. Obviously, you're still in camp. Uh, we'll come back to the game in a minute. I just need to know: were there any celebrations afterwards? Because we're talking now about the atmosphere. It's obviously, you know, unbelievable in the changing rooms afterwards. Were you allowed to go out? Did you hit some of the big clubs in Paris or was it very much that's the first job done in terms of a, a big game in the Six Nations? We've got bigger to come as well. Well, we came back to the CNR, our training facility, but then, uh, yeah, we, we we made it count. <laughs> <laughs> made sure that we that we also enjoy the, the good times, so, you know, um, get some pressure relief uh, and all that. See, me and Goody have spent time in France as well, and maybe you can give us a snapshot and we can see how professional the team is now, how fit you all look, how well coached you are. And it's taken a while to kind of get to that point because it was always like family, fun, alcohol, cigarettes. And I've played in France, so I can say I was at Montpellier. It was always that first, and then rugby was secondary. Uh, it seems now there's a, there's a flip. Is there still that kind of ingrained culture in the French team. Yeah, exactly. Especially with uh, Fabian and his uh, coaching staff, they came in with like a really professional attitude. Like what I was actually used to in South Africa, you know, when you, and I, I guess you guys in the UK as well, like uh, you used to really uh, systems and everything that's in place and you're really professional and, you know, there's no time for stuffing about. So when we, when I first got you in the, in the staff with uh, Fabian and all the coaching staff he, ha he has around him, like I knew from day one, well, this is this is going to be like a professional setup and going to be serious when you when you need to be. But then also bringing in the French side in certain times to have like a certain balance, and I think that's what works well. But they also leaving us to be ourselves as well, and so keep the like you know the French. Uh, French taste uh, in the team as well. So that's it works well. It works really well. Yeah, and you talk about culture and you talk about characters. Uh, one of the greatest characters I know in the game is a, a man on your coaching panel, Sean Edwards. 
Like he has done some wonderful things over in Wales, obviously at Wasps initially. And I can see by the smile on your face, I absolutely love the guy and how passionate he is. He's fitted in and made a massive difference to you boys. But talk to me about his passionate training because how's his lingo? Is he full on French lingo now? And is that Wigan accent coming out as well? Well, he, he has impressed me with his French. Obviously, he has a strong accent, but the thing that the players love about him is, like you said, his energy and his whole vibe about the training and his passion about defence. And it's uh, funny, he's, uh, we always love his uh, video video sessions or his meetings that we have, and it's like sweet and sharp, to the point. And he's like, no, need to do this. We haven't done this. And it's simple, and then we love it. And then on the field, when you get on the field, he's like just bringing the energy He's going crazy there. Get on the line. Get on the line. Um, so now we we like the whole team like has adopted him like with with no uh, problems or anything like it. We've just been getting his injury, uh, his um, yeah, energy like being influenced by his energy and getting everybody up for for massive defensive efforts. Yeah, you can see that it's been class. And then for you personally, Paul, I don't know if you're aware, but I was at Montpellier just before you, and they got you in to replace me because they had this big void that they needed to fill it in. <laughs> <laughs> but how, how, how's it been for you, Paul? Because it must be different. You're a long way from home, but playing at Montpellier with Vinyl Olivier and seeing the South African lads on the circuit, both in the Prem and obviously in the top 14 as well, it seems like you lads settle in a lot more than, say, the Welsh lads who go and play in the top 14. You're more comfortable being outside your comfort zone. So for you personally, and then that transition into the French team, with your backstory, how's that been? So initially, I came to France because I wasn't I wasn't selected in like a big squad for the 2015 World Cup with uh, Heineke Meyer. So I wasn't in the in a in a squad of like 80 players. And I thought, well, if I'm not in there, then uh, I most certainly won't be in the playing in the in a, in a World Cup. So I decided to take that one year and a half, go overseas, and gain some experience. The opportunity came to me, and then I said, well, I might as well just use it. And it was initially for, for Stade Francais, but then at the end, the deal fell fell through. And then at the last moment, I decided, well, I've already made up my mind going to France. doesn't actually matter which club, but it's just to gain some experience. So then I switched up and I went to Grenoble and then I spent like six months there. And then uh, Jake White phoned me up and had this story with Montpellier. It's like, listen, do you want to come over here? And at that point, I had like uh, two or three other guys that played with me at the Bulls, also signed at Montpellier. So I said, well, we're gonna, I think I'm going to enjoy that more with some some friends because you know, I was a little bit alone and my wife so had some difficulties there, but decided to go to Montpellier with some friends there. I uh, kept on enjoying it more and more. For me, because I came as a young, young guy, like 21, 22, I kind of had like a different uh, mentality. As soon as I kind of decided, now, you know, I think I'm going to stay in France, I like kind of switched my mentality towards like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it 100%. And even if I come back after a year or two, at least I'm going to go all in with the language and all in with the team and the French culture and all that. So that if if I decide to stay, it will be much easier. And then, yeah, it kind of worked out like that. At a certain point, it was a bit difficult for me there because um, South Africa said they're not going to select foreign-based players. And the French team said uh, they're not going to select any foreigners for their team. So it's like one year there. And then on top of that, I lost the top 14 final. So in that same moment of time, so I was a bit in the dumpster for a while. And then when I got out of that, I said, okay, well, actually my, my, my first boy was born. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to go all in with this French thing and go for the French team and see what happens. And how is it as well, Paul, with the South African influence on your life coming from there? There's obviously a lot of South Africans 
in the top 14. You would watch South Africa win the World Cup. Fiercely passionate nation as well. How is it for you? Because I can say this, you'll have some humility about it. You'll be in the top five second rows in the world now. You know, arguably in the top three, the way that you're performing. How is it watching your home nation of South Africa? Have you, are you pa- kind of past that emotional standpoint and, and it's professional sport? Or is it still a part where you feel quite emotional watching them win a World Cup? Yeah, well, it, it's especially in the beginning because, I mean, for, for my whole life, I grew up as a young boy wanting to be a Springbok, you know, like <laughs> all those Africans. That was my dream uh, since I can remember. But like for me, it all came together when I, when I actually made the, the choice to play for France. I knew, uh, you know, when I did, when I ran out for that first, my first international cap, I started against Wales. Like when I sang the Marseillaise there in front, but that was, that was all of those emotional stuff coming down at once. So I was, that game for me was the most emotional because I knew like, okay, now I'm shutting the door on that dream, but potentially opening another door for another dream that I, that I didn't, never thought about. Nowadays, like I'm, I'm committed here, and like my my family, all my all my children were born in France. I consider myself French now as well. So now it's a bit easier. Even though I played with all the the guys that are playing in the South African team now, I've played with all of them, and they were my teammates once. Uh, but that what I have now with the with the French team, I won't I won't give that up. I feel like we really have something special here, and uh, and a good good thing that we we we've constructed yeah so don't have any of those emotions anymore let's talk about the game then because it was a phenomenal match we're watching it back in England and Jim obviously up in Scotland the emotion the noise everything about it the way you boys flew out the blocks in that first half absolutely dominating the Irish the game was phenomenal but it was a game at Taylor two halves wasn't it because they really came back at you after half time what was kind of being said under the sticks when they started coming back at you yeah um, yeah we just knew like we just gave him points too easy like but that's what happens when you play against the best teams like you switch off for that one split second and then and then they get a, a liner drive on the five meter and then you know with liner drives anything is possible yeah that's all about the the quickness and the setup of it. So we were kind of like, yeah, after they scored, especially that first one with the kickoff, that was like, it's like, whoa, where did that come from? You know, like we knew like kind of in ourselves, like physically we're feeling that we've, we've got this. So if we can just continue focusing on our, on our, on our discipline and not giving them um, easy field advantage, especially because we, we know that we had to avoid uh, the penalties, because that would get them in our half. That's like malls and penalties all over the place. So it's like normally the French, like the emotional thing. For me, the emotional stuff is like, it's not about the emotional players, but it's normally about the emotional staff <laughs> in France. The thing that I really like about uh, our team is like, there's always this like sense of this calmness in our team. Like doesn't matter what happens. And sometimes it frustrates me because I'm like, you know, the South African in me is like, Okay, boys, we need to, we need to wake up now. <laughs> Somebody needs to do something now, you know. But uh, in this team, just have this like calmness because with the players that we have, you know, like anything can happen. Like we can create something out of nothing, and everyone just jumps on that opportunity. So yeah, it's just just all about that. staying calm. Just continue doing what we're doing. It's gonna work. We, physically, we felt good. We felt like we we, we had them. And you talk about that calmness, Paul. No one looks calmer on the pitch than Anton Dupont. What is the situation around him? I mean, you talk about phenomenal. It's easy to piggyback a player, isn't it, when they're going well. I mean, firstly, two questions. Are you allowed to go near him in training or are you told to stay (laughs) well away from him (laughs) so you don't monster him? And what's he like? What's he like as a character? Because he is one of the world's 
he's going to be one of the greatest ever players to have played the game. And you can say that now. What's he like? Yeah, I know. But exactly like that. You know, like as he is on the field, he's like a really calm, collected guy. You never see him going emotionally mad or over, overly joyful. Like he stays neutral. Like most of the time, you feel like he's level-headed all the time. You know, like looks like he's downloading his environment the whole time just to see the possibilities, you know. <laughs> well, that gives a calmness to everyone, you know, like if you see your head playmaker staying calm, but that's the same story with Ntemak as well. Uh, Ntemak as well, he's also cool, calm, collected all the time. That's like kind of the theme of, of our team, like even before the games and so on. Like the first few games I played with this team, I was like, I don't know if these guys are, are ready for the game because like normally you're used to the two or three guys in the locker room that starts going crazy a little bit. You know, you're used to that in the locker room. It's at least one or two guys, you know, start screaming, start yelling. But then in this group, it's like everybody's just calm. And then I, I kind of felt like, should, should I start yelling and screaming? <laughs> That's me as well. Like I'm also like normally in my game, I'm also calm before the game. But like being in a team where everyone's like you, that uh, that's freaked me out a little bit. But then as soon as we went on the field, like everyone switched on. Everyone's ready like all the time. It's incredible. I enjoy that. Yeah, good stuff. One of the things Jim mentioned just before when he was talking about Anton Dupont was whether you're allowed to go near him in training because I hear a rumour that you're not allowed to go full bore in training because you're just monster boys and you're smashing people and you're injuring people. No, no, I don't go full on because now for me, it's also about preserving my own body, you know? like <laughs> Even if I go full on, you know, it hurts me as well a little bit, you know? I can't can't do that all the time. No, no, but it's like a understanding in the team, you know, like... But the difficult thing is catching him as well. <laughs> like, yeah, he's too smart. He kind of throws out the, the bait. And as soon as you take it, he punishes you. Like, you know, that's where he gets the typical step hand off and then break. <laughs> that's what I mean. I've never seen the scrum half sitting boys down, like literally bumping boys down around the breakdown. Yeah, no, he's really strong. He, like, I think, uh, yeah, people don't understand it. Like, uh, he's, he's really a physical, physical player as well. Not a typical nine. Let's just talk about the World Cup then, because there is this build-up in the next 18 months uh, to the World Cup. I played in the World Cup in France in 2007. Phenomenal. I mean, an, just an unbelievable country. And everything around this French team is leading towards that, it seems. I know you want to win the Six Nations, of course, but with the investment, the profile in the game, and everything that we've been through with the COVID the last couple of years... How much has the World Cup spoken about? And can you feel the energy building in the country already? Yeah, I, I, I think uh, actually like the, the last game we did against New Zealand, I think that game, like it was like kind of the best setup for the World Cup. Like I think it couldn't have been better because um, I think like that was like just a, a preview of what's going to happen for the opening game, you know, and everybody was thinking about that as well. So I think that as well gave some more some more uh, oomph, you know. For us, um, as a team, like, we have our roadmap set out with all the things that we'd like to achieve and all the things that are coming. And, like, for us, the big thing now is, like, we've already turned around the image of French rugby. We've had a few great performances. We've uh, done really well. The one thing that's lacking for us, it's uh, winning trophies. So that's a big concentration for us at this moment is, like, winning the Six Nations and... Uh, just winning trophies, winning tournaments and so on. In our roadmap, like we, we have the whole image of our roadmap. It's like we do all these things to pre prepare ourselves for for the World Cup. You know, it's still in a conversation. You know, listen, guys, we're doing this because it's going to happen in the World Cup. We're doing this because we need to be ready for them. 
So we have that in our roadmap. Uh, so that's a constant in the back of the head thing. Good stuff. And finally from me, what does this week look like for you guys? Because obviously you haven't played in France, the French boys. Now you're protected a little bit from having to go back to your clubs and play there. There's the agreement, isn't there, which wasn't there historically. Are you taking it easy this week? you got a tough training week. you got a few days off to get back to Montpellier. I'm, I'm heading back. I'm one of the 21 players that are protected. Um, so I'll be going back home, spend some time with the family, with the kids and all that. Go outside a bit, you know, just chilling, getting the head back and then we get back together on Sunday again uh, for the for the Scotland week. I'm not going to mention the Scotland game because if I say something about how you're going to beat Scotland, Fabian might use it against me and use it for you guys <laughs> in the changing room. So I'm just going to let that sit and just wish you luck going forward as a French team. It's class to see you carving up, Paul, personally, you know, your story that you've come through, but also for the world of rugby to see France playing how they are. It's I mean, it's just a joy to watch. Yeah, I know. Thank you very much. Like I said, like I'm just really grateful. I almost miss this generation with my age, you know. So I'm, I'm really happy I get to be a part of this uh, generation rugby in, in France. So uh, I'm enjoying it. And yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate it. Cheers, Paul. Class, mate. Cheers, mate. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much for the invitation, guys. I really appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold slurpy drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven and your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small slurpy drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that about me going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1725? 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax. Participating U.S. stores, see app for full terms. All rights reserved. Top lad, top lad. Yeah. Mate, do you know what? I'm convinced now. I like the French. You heard it here first. Love Sean Edwards. Paul Willem, so what a bloke. And what about you, Jim? What about you going, oh, Paul, you know, you they signed you to replace me. Didn't even know who it was. <laughs> Genuinely. He didn't even know that I played rugby. That's how far away I am from it now. Embarrassing again. Uh, 
again. <laughs> he, I said it. Hey, I talked him up in the top five in the second rows, and that's the big thing. You you know when he's fit because he's up there in the top two or three, like we've seen yeah. against Ireland, and obviously everything's going around about how how good he is. But it just shows you, isn't it? Because look, being in Scotland. Players are getting a lot of shit. Duan Muck van der Merwe, you know, Ben McWhite, Hamish Watson, who's got an English accent. But this is it. This is professionalism now. This is professional sport. And you li- listen to him talk about it. He's South African by accent, but he's been adopted by a beautiful country who've taken him in. And my goodness me, has he delivered. Do you know what I mean? Like, what, what more can you ask of a human? So class to have him on. Yeah, absolute beast of a bloke. And he, do you know what? I'm, I'm pretty sure Montpellier would be happy that they upgraded Paul Willemser after Jim Hamilton left, no? Hey, it's not even up for debate, is it? He's in the top five, I was in the top ten. There's a big there's a big drop-off. Well, let's turn our attention now to the other game of the Six Nations at the weekend then. Are England back on track, Goody, after your under-20s loss to Italy? Yay! Future's bright. Yeah, that's going to come up. And, and listen, there's a couple of talking points around that under-20s game that we might come on to later. Are England back on track? Listen, it's a bonus point victory. I thought for the first sort of 50 minutes... Play pretty well. You know, there's some, some good parts of the game. Marcus Smith gets man of the match. Some decent performances. The second half, I thought, was pretty flat. And and do you know what? When you say pretty flat, there were errors by England. And, you know, there are some new players, some new combinations. But tip the old slipper to the Italians. You've got to tip the slipper to the Italians a bit. They played some decent stuff at times. Couldn't get over the try line. But they put England under pressure. And I know England was soaking up things and... You know, it was always a case of their incomplete control. So there weren't panic stations at all. But I was actually pretty impressed with Italy at times. And, you know, people look at it and go, oh, England should win by 50, 60 points and all that stuff. And ordinarily, like I've said it, we're a team a bit in transition, you know. There's still going to be a hangover from the Scotland game last week where certain changes were made. And, you know, it was interesting that you brought George Ford on this week and left Marcus Smith on the field. So this is bloody New England, mate. The New England rugby team. You know, Harry Randall starts at nine. Thought he did reasonably well. A couple of errors, but we know he's going to bring spark. But these players have got to be given confidence. You know, they've got to have that belief behind them. It, it was good, but could have been better. You know, we're a different pathway team at the minute. We're blood in new players, new combinations. And off the back of that, um, you're going to get errors. And we saw a few at the weekend, but we saw some good stuff as well. You mentioned Harry Randall. Should he be starting against Wales, do you think? That's a tough one, isn't it? Because... You know, Ben Youngs comes off the bench. He equaled the great Jason Leonard's 114 cap international record for England. And my goodness, if Ben Youngs' testicles are half the size of Jason Leonard's, then you ain't ever seen anything like it, people. Google Jason Leonard's testicles. They are unbelievable. It's a tough one. I mean, for Ben Youngs, I think it'd be nice for him to start, lead the team out. It'll be his 115th cap. You know, Harry Randall is someone that will come off the bench and add pace, add zip. And it was good that Eddie Jones gave Harry Randall the start. It was against Italy, away from home, all this stuff. I think he'll go back to Ben Youngs. The, the reception that Ben Youngs should get for breaking the, the international cap record for England is yeah, 115 caps is absolutely it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's amazing, ridiculous, a credit to the bloke, his family, and testament to how he's looked after himself and played so well throughout his career. But I'd start Ben Youngs off the back of him breaking the record. And, you know, Harry Randall is going to be a, a brilliant spark off the bench at some point. So basically, Ben Youngs is going to get two stand ovations. One when he leads the team out for his 115th, and then one when he comes off to bring Harry Randall on. It'll just be stand ovations galore. So let him let him enjoy it. We've got a special place in our heart for the Youngs family and the brothers. Now, Ben Youngs was maybe 15, 16 
when I was second team captain and he was just coming through. His brother was playing in the centre, hard as nails, Tom. One of the hardest lads you would ever meet. And I remember we went, we went down to the final, and I think it was against Wasps, and they sent three buses down there, obviously the first team bus, the families, and then what we call the team See You Next Tuesday bus. So I'm obviously leading the charge with Freddie Tulangi on that bus, and the Youngs brothers are on there. Ben Youngs, like, he's obviously the bright lights of Leicester. And on the way back, everyone is absolutely trolley to the point where we've got a trolley on the bus that we've picked up from Tesco's. <laughs> and we've gone in there. No one's got a card. No one's got any cash. So we borrowed this trolley, filled it up to the brim, borrowed the beer that was in it. And we are on the way back up the M1, having just been beaten by Wasps in 2007. I remember, as vice captain of the first team and captain of the second team, they're looking to me. Ben Youngs feels ill. This young lad, no one's heard of him, feels ill. I was like, I got this. I got this. Black bag. Literally, he spews in this black bag and we don't know what to do with it. But obviously, I'm a, deci- I'm a decision maker. I'm a leader. Henry Tuolangi's opened the sunroof. Well, he's opened it and thrown it at the side of the, <laughs> uh, the hard shoulder. And then the, I've got a black bag full of the great Ben Youngs' fluids, sick. And I've gone to lob it out the top of this sunroof and it's got caught on the arm of one of the chairs and ripped over and sprayed the whole bus. So my point being, the great men and the great lads on that bus have been sprayed by the great man sick and we're all better for it. And it's great seeing what what he's done because he's had ups and downs as well. Like it's not been all glory and there's been a few family things along the way as well that he's fronted up to and he's a good man and I'm happy to see that he's come through a bit of a dip in form. Obviously, he missed two Lions tours for family reasons. He's made big decisions along the way, and I think it'll be class for him because he didn't seem like he's stopping anytime soon. Against Scotland, I actually thought he played really well as well, but there's a natural evolution. How long can you keep going for? Well, I reckon he's got a good 10, 20, maybe 30 left in him. Let's talk about Italy because it seems like whoever they're playing over the last sort of 12 months, the score lines seem to be getting tighter, don't they, Jim? I'll state the obvious, and Goody referenced it. They can't score. They look better. Like They definitely look better. I commentated on them in the autumn for Amazon against the All Blacks, against Argentina, against Uruguay. That game against the All Blacks, they gave them a proper game, but the scoreline didn't reflect that. But you've got to look at it because you, you can't look at it as if, oh, Italy lost to the All Blacks, so therefore they're not going anywhere. Or Italy lose to England, they're not going anywhere. Because they're not going anywhere in the Six Nations. They're here for the short term, I imagine the long term, because we'll talk about what's happening at the age-grade stuff and, and the club teams. But they do look better. Defensively, they look better. They look more well-organised. They look physical against England. But they're struggling with the attack. And this is the big thing, Goody. When we t- talk about France and we talk about Ireland, we talk about the All Blacks, we talk about the best teams in the world, Scotland. Defence seems to be the easier bit to fix and the mindset around that. But having a good defence is going so far. For me, you look at the best teams in the world, how they attack the physicality off scrum half, the line-out plays. And Italy, for whatever reason, when they get the opportunities, they just, they, well, the scoreline says that they didn't score. So they could have taken three points, they've gone to the corner, and it's just that that last bit. But that last bit is the biggest bit. So I don't want to hate on Italy. People who look at that, who don't understand the game, will be like, well, they're not good enough now. Bring Romania or Portugal or Georgia or South Africa or Japan. No, not yet. Let's give them a few more years now because everything you hear in the Kieran Crowley, you know, Benetton Treviso uh, won the Rainbow Cup at the back end of the Pro 14. They're fronting up now. They're a good team. Zebra still ain't that good. But we saw what the under-20s did and we normally that is a snapshot 
in the shadows of the Six Nations, what the under-20s mm. do, that group of players come through. That's what we're seeing with, well, obviously all of them, England, France, Ireland, they would have played together in the under-20s and they're coming through now. And everything you're hearing, Paul Gustard met him, had an unbelievable leather jacket on in Benetton. And he was like, mate, Italian rugby's good. They're athletes. He kept saying athletes. And he's like, something they've not had before. I, I think give them another couple of years and, 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 and judge them then. But I thought they were good against England in parts. Yeah, they did play some good stuff. And you go back to that England under-20s, Italy under-20s game. And Jim's right. The issue is scoring tries. But what a monumental result for Italian rugby, beating England under-20s. I know it was 6-0, so no tries were scored. Which, again, is, is, is the issue that Jim was talking about. But it's got to start somewhere, right? And that's history right there. First time an Italian team has beaten England at either international level or under-20s level. I'm a big believer. I think there should be a, and I've said it for a few years, there should be a playoff game between whoever finishes bottom and whoever finishes top. Logistically, in the world we've just lived in for the last two years and we're still living in, oh, there's another variant come out in South Africa as well. My God, now. Logistically, I know it's an issue around fixtures, games, all that stuff. I, I think the frustration is some people look at Italy and go, well, why are they in the Six Nations? I read something today online that someone said it was a mistake to bring them in, in the first place, which is ludicrous. And I, I sit there, there's this debate about South Africa bringing them into the Six Nations. I completely disagree with that as well. The Six Nations is a very passionate European competition. And you bring South Africa in or Japan, it starts to dilute it and it makes it more of a world feel. So I think there should be a playoff game between whoever finishes bottom, basically Scotland or Italy and mainly Georgia. But again, it's logistically getting stuff done. We chatted about world rugby. How's the global season going? Well, that hasn't moved on yet, has it? So it is what it is. And I think people will question why they're in the competition until they can prove that they should be in the competition. The only way that they prove they should be in the competition is by having a promotion relegation game. When you look at England's performance, what what, what sticks out as some of the biggest positives for you guys? Marcus Smith looked unbelievable. Again, I mean, that would have been, I don't know, would that have been an easier game or a harder game for it? It would have been an easier game because they were on the front foot more, you know, could take risks. He looked unbelievable. I mean, from a forwards perspective, it was great to see Oli Chasm come on. I thought he looked very good when he came on. He stole a line out, nearly stole another line out, was physical. No one knew where he'd come from, really. Leicester, that's where he's come from. And with the pedigree that they've got there now and, and, and what's happening there, he looked very good. I thought Jamie George as well. Wasn't even the squad in the autumn. Scored a couple of tries. But this is the question, right? When you go away from this game and you look at the last two weeks, what have you learned from England? As in, I don't think it's beneficial, no disrespect to Italy, having Italy next up and then having a week off. But we did get to see another centre partnership and I'm sure Manu will come back in. But Marcus Smith, Andrew. And we speak about Finn. It's all about Marcus Smith at the minute. And uh, what did we learn over the last two weeks? Well, Marcus Smith's our 10 and just leave him in the jersey for the whole game unless he's either having a stinker or he's injured. We've learned Ellis Genge can throw a 20-yard pass off his left hand. My God, what a seed that was. Now, I think back to some of the props that I played with. Unbelievable scrummagers, hard as nails. Could they catch your pass? Absolutely not. Now, Genji, he can run. He can run over people. He can get angry. He can wind people up. That's an unbelievable ball from a loose head prop in open play where the panic normally sets in for loose head props, tight head props, front rowers in open play, whatever, and they go looking for a bit of contact. Hell of a seed out to Jamie George. I thought Jamie George was great again. Interesting, seeing Mauro Toji play six, I thought he actually, because you're judging him then as a different player, I thought he actually played really well at six, which is something 
that obviously England, you know, need to look at around finding more second rows. You know, he's been so dominant in that position as well. It's the Johnny Sexton thing, isn't it? The dynamics of the team, and I think Eddie Jones is trying to find the formula. He's trying to find the the right ingredients. Well, we know the first right ingredient to have is Marcus Smith stay on the field at 10 for the whole game and giving him the reins and then ultimately let him pull the strings because there's bigger tests to come like now I'm looking at Wales up in round three and looking at on, on paper you know even though Wales were revitalized against Scotland I think we should win that and then we've got two of the biggest tests possible Ireland at home and then France away so th- this for us we I said it at the start of the Six Nations we're a bit transitional at the minute he's bringing new blood in thinking about the World Cup in 18 months time you know we may finish third fourth wherever but these guys have got to be given the opportunity to play and feeling each other out and, and building combinations and Marcus Smith's pivotal to that biggest issue for England is the center oh my Manu he comes straight back in against Wales doesn't he I, I hope I hope he doesn't why I'm supposed to be doing a and a with him pre-match and if <laughs> if he is playing for England then I've got to find someone else selfish so, well no I'm thinking his long-term health Manu is a point of difference, isn't he? I think Henry Slade's been playing really well. But yeah, I mean, it's always been an issue, the centre combination. You then throw, I know Faz isn't going to be fit in this Six Nations. You throw him into the mix later on, we go to Australia in the summer. It's always an issue, isn't it? Because it's, And it has been since the forward Farrell axis. You're basically getting Farrell in the team. If he's not right to play 10, you're putting him at 12 because of his leadership and all that stuff. And uh, we, you know, we've never found a, a, a perfect combination in that yet. Although... Man who's definitely one of the two if he's fully fit. What do you guys make of the HIA incident involving Jack Noll? Shocking. I've kind of had a shift in mentality that I don't want to go out at the referees because that's the easiest thing to do. But Damon Murphy, the Australian making his debut in the Six Nations, the HIA stuff around Jack Noll, I don't want to go too hard at him, but you have to. You can't paper over the cracks. Obviously, Jack Noll's gone down, right? And he's had a collision. We couldn't see it back on TV, but he looked a little bit ropey on his feet. There's been a, a stop in play. He goes back down. The physio comes on. And then the ref goes over. He's like, we need to speed this up. And they're like, well, we're having a look at the camera. He's like, no, 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 let's speed it up. Let's speed it up. And then Jack Noll went on to play. And then he ended up getting pulled off for a HIA. And then they found out that actually he had concussion. Look, you don't want to go too hard at him, but on this kind of stuff, you have to. You know, there was a similar thing, wasn't there, in the under-20s game as well that's doing the rounds on social media. And it's one of them things where, if in doubt, sit them out. And, and this is what's going around there. And you, you can't rush these things. Unfortunately, that is the only thing you cannot rush. Well, Jack Long never came back on, so he was clearly concussed, but he was encouraged to carry on playing. For, from my perspective, you know, I'm, I'm with Jim. There's three actual aspects that happened over the weekend that I want to discuss. One is the Jack Noll thing. The referee should never be trying to force something to hurry along. What there should be is, uh, you know, take him off until you find out. If you're trying to speed the game up, take him off till you find out whether he needs a HIA, but then that puts that team at a disadvantage. So there should be something where you can, you know, straight away, bang, you can bring another player on and then work out if, if you're trying to rush it or just hold your horses, Damon. Just take your time. Take your time and say, well, let's find out. Just say, actually, if there is a, even a question mark around it, then he's got to go off for a HIA. Because you need to have proactive kind of safety first attitude around this now because look at other things that are going on in the game and around the world, which you know we'll debate another time. That's the first one. So the second one I want to talk about is Peter Omani, or as Jim calls him, Peter O'Mahony. When Cyril Bai scored that try, Peter Omani is lying prone on the floor after trying to smash... Flatlined. Yeah. Without a doubt, there's a HIA. 
that needs doing. What happens? He's lying on the floor for a good 10 seconds, face down. Then he gets up. He plays on for about three or four minutes. And then the obviously independent match doctor says, well, he needs a HIA. He's played on for three or four minutes after being absolutely smoked and clearly knocked out. Then he fails his HIA. So that's the second one. The third one, which is the most disgraceful one, you know, it's the England under 20 scene where there's about three or four minutes to go. Bailey, the winger, goes up for a high ball and there's been a contest in the air. Arila Groizillo, the referee, French lady referee, she deemed it a knock-on. They then looked at it. The independent match doctor said, right, he needs to go for HIA. The England physio is on the field and has asked for a red card. So the England physio is an absolute disgrace. He said, well, if he's if he needs a HIA, he's been taken out in the air, it's got to be a red card. What physio in the world of rugby is jogging on the field, speaking to a referee, asking for a red card? Ridiculous. Pipe down. So the England doctor then looks at Bailey and says, oh, I've done, you know, I've looked at him, I've done my tests and, uh, you know, he doesn't need HIA. He's, he's, I've cleared him, he's fine to play on. But this is the thing. There's a whole independent match doctor who's got no preference to England or to Italy or to any team. He's just there looking after the players. The independent match doctor has said... Bailey needs a HIA. He should supersede and, and does supersede absolutely any decision that any physio or any other doctor has made because there's going to be a player's going to stand up. Peter Omani probably stood up and went, oh, I'm fine. Goes for HIA, doesn't come back. Jack Noel says he's fine. Goes for HIA, doesn't come back. The players, and I've been there myself, the one time in my career I made a tackle where you, know, you get knocked out. I remember Jono saying to me, you're all right? And I looked at him, I'm like, fucking Jono, it's you. Of course I'm all right. And I was fucked. It wasn't Jono's fault, it was my fault. Yeah, a player will always want to play on. So the England doctor of the under-20s and the physio, they're an absolute disgrace for what they did on Friday night in terms of challenging the referee's decision and authority, asking for a red card. A physio asking for a red card is just absolutely ridiculous. Undermining world rugby's protocols that are put in place with the independent match doctors. It's, you know... It's a minefield. And I know teams want their best players on the field and I don't know whether there's pressure from the coaches. All you have to care about is the player. And in all three instances, someone has failed the player right there. Whether it was Damon Murphy, the referee, he's failed Jack Knoll. Peter O'Mahony, whoever let him play on after that has had an absolute shocker. The biggest one, the worst one of the weekend, England rugby under 20s, the physio start off with and the doctor basically trying to overrule the referee and the, and the match doctor, you're an absolute disgrace. You know, something should be done about it. I, I really believe in that because everything they're trying to do is protect the players now. So you can't complain and, and have these issues with authority. And the authority is the independent match doctor. There's still a lot to do in the game to, to keep the players safe. Well, there's no games to predict this weekend, but Matchpoint have their Guinness Sports Quiz on the Matchpoint app and you can win yourself a free pint. It's like a pub quiz. But of course, it's on your phone. Well, I'll give you guys a quick taste. So I'm going to ask you guys a question then give you three options. The first one to say the right answer wins, okay? Which player holds the all-time Six Nations point-scoring record? Is it Johnny Wilkinson, Ronan O'Gara, or Ron O'Gara. Johnny Sexton? The correct answer is Ronan O'Gara with 557 points. Thank you very much. Well done, Gertie. Well, you can take part yourself. Just fire up the free Matchpoint app on Thursday this week and head to the Guinness Sports Quiz. There were more than 20,000 pints won last week. And if you have a free pint to claim, head to the Guinness Pint Predictor, go to prizes, and you'll find more than 3,500 pubs where you can claim your free Guinness this week. Shall we have a quick look at the Premiership before we go? Chris Ashton. Oh, yeah. Watched it in bed, tucked up in Cardiff, rock and roll. Kelly is out on the town giving back. 
shopping local, as it were. I watched Leicester versus Northampton, wondering if friend of the show, the lovable Rouge, the lovable rogue, would get on. And he did. Came on, did really well. And then in Chris Ashton style, embarrasses himself and gets another carded. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? If you were to write it, that's how you would have wrote it. Desperation. And I've never seen him tackle a man like that. He's out of contract, so he's tackled like that. And (laughs) genuinely, I'm happy for him. He's been through a tough time. We've joked about Ashy on here. We don't know what's happened, but he's a good lad. He's got a good heart. He knows that this is his last chance saloon, as it were. And it was weird seeing him in Leicester Colours, his sixth premiership club. But I thought he did all right, apart from the Simbin at the end, which I did giggle about. Yeah, I mean, who has six premiership clubs? It's just, you know, it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but I was there on Friday night at Leicester. It's quite interesting because he comes off the bench. Uh, someone comes off for a HIA. And I'm there and I'm listening. And I'm thinking the crowd, he's obviously an ex-Saints player, obviously an ex-Saracen. And the crowd were like, not too sure. And it was like polite applause when they announced his name. Then he makes that try saving tackle in the corner. And then he gets subbed back off again. The HIA gets reversed and everyone's like cheering him. I'm like, Ashy, mate, best thing you could have ever done. Don't worry about scoring a try and doing the Ash Splash or the whatever you want to call it. Make a tackle in the corner and save a try. That's how to endear yourself to the Leicester public or get involved in the driving line out or a scrum. And he did one of those. He made the tackle. The applause and the cheers that he got when he came off. He was, I think he was quite taken aback by it. He's probably a bit nervous himself. Because you read things on social media, you read things in the press. And I know there were loads of Leicester fans that were like, now, what, what do we need him for? But all you can do is stick the jersey on. I mean, he should have worked on his tan over the eight months he's had off because he looked whiter than a ghost. But he came on, he made that tackle and, yeah, it's good to see him back. I'd like to see him, the lovable rogue, I'd like to see him break the Premiership try-scoring record. I think that's what he's, his motivation is. And, and obviously to try and win it with Leicester this year. It'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Imagine a final Leicester against Saracens or whatever, or, and Ashley's playing for Leicester or involved in that. That'd be uh, some storyline as well, wouldn't it? Or Leicester versus Northampton, or Leicester versus Sale, or <laughs> Leicester versus Worcester. No, Leicester versus Quinns. I mean, it could happen. Either way, it could happen. Well, Saracens beat Quinns over the weekend, didn't they, Jim? Yeah, conditions were awful. We know we've spoken about on here loads, haven't we, around the Saracens-Quinns beef that is, but in the shadows of the Six Nations... Saracen still has some quality players out. Billy Vanapola, obviously headlining that. Uh, Lazowski as well. And it was a big win. I was with Kelly Brown in Cardiff. And I said, oh, how is it playing against Quinns now? The emotion, everything. He said, it's still real. So Saracens, I think, look very good. They've got a good run into the end of the season. The fact that Mako and Billy are playing well for them as well. And they've got guys like Loza. And that's a big win because Quinns have been a bogey team for us in recent years. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the kick from Lozowski with a couple of minutes to go takes Quinn's losing bonus point away from them as well. They've now lost three on the spin, which they hadn't done for quite some time. I think it was 2019 or something the last time that happened. And this is where the Six Nations is so pivotal. You take Quinn's and you take the heartbeat of their team, Don Brandt, Marcus Smith, you know, Joe Marler, these boys out, and they've got to try and stay in the battle because other teams, and we, t- we spoke about it a few weeks ago on here, other teams in the Prem are starting to win games and that gap all of a sudden is, is really close in the top four. So, you know, Quinns have got to start trying to get some victories because winning becomes a habit and so does losing. You can't just wait till Marcus Smith and the boys get back from the Six Nations to try and raise your levels and, and chase the pack again. We're talking about teams on form. How about London Irish getting the win at Bristol? My goodness me. It wasn't just a win. Bristol got three tries in the last four minutes to make it look a lot more respectable. 
London Irish, my God, they looked like a proper team. I said it before, Paddy Jackson, ridiculous form. They got a little bit of luck with, with one of the tries, but they were absolute quality. Ben Loder on the wing was fantastic. They rinsed them. With four minutes to go, London Irish were 49-15 up against Bristol. At Bristol, I know uh, they've lost Sheedy, but they haven't lost too many. Sammy Randrander was playing. Now Lango was playing. You know, Piers O'Connor was in the centres. Alapati Leua. So they had a lot of their, their front-line boys playing. Stephen Luatua. They got absolutely smoked. Now, London Irish, Sean O'Brien's in the mix again. You know, obviously they've not lost many. You know, Nick Phipps played exceptionally well. Van Rensburg in the centres was class. You talk about runs to the end of the season now. London Irish are proper in the mix. And the, the, the Premiership is so exciting. You go down to Sale in ninth on 39 points. Harlequins are fourth on 43 points. So it only takes two or three wins and you rocket yourself up the table. And London Irish have done that. They look great. And there's something just not quite right about Bristol at the minute. You hear some... Rumours coming out of the place that there's there's a couple of issues behind the scenes. But yeah, I mean, I, I think Bristol's chances now, they're on intense spot on 27 points. I think they're gone in terms of top four, but um, there's something that's just not quite right at Bristol, is there? Yeah, I agree, Goody. There's obviously something not right. I called it for the, not the top four, but I didn't think it'd be this kind of season for them. So clearly something not right. Nathan Hughes, Hartbury, Bath, carved up for Bath, got man of the match, nowhere to be seen at Bristol's anymore. So yeah, Something not going well down in Bristol's. Right, well, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, loads of good. And we're going to start in a place that not many people would have seen this weekend. We've had Six Nations. There's Premiership. There's Top 14 in France. But we're going to the Championship, James. Where are we going? Oh, I know where you're going. I did have a snapshot of the league. Donny. No, we're going Bedford Blues, mate. They beat Ealing away from home, 31 points to 19. And it's interesting because I think there's only two teams that are interested in coming up to the Prem. One's Doncaster. And one is Ealing. Now, they're talking about the Premiership becoming a 14-team league and potentially splitting it into two pools of seven. Ealing? I'm not sure anymore. Losing to Bedford at home, 31-19. There's a lot of investment that needs to go on there. So, tip the slipper to Bedford Blues. We'll go up to Scotland now, Jim. And it wasn't a great result for the international team. But I'll mention it. Glasgow. Glasgow beat Munster 13-11 in a thriller in the URC. But big shout out to them. Uh, what else was good? England got a bonus point victory, but mainly the news around Ben Young's equaling Jason Leonard's record of 114 caps for England. We spoke about it earlier. Fantastic effort from Ben Young's to do that. Hopefully there's more to come. And he breaks the record completely in two weeks' time. We'll go to Wales and Dan Bigger leading from the front, showing huge character to bounce back from their defeat in Dublin last week. He got his 100th cap, as did Jonathan Fox Davis coming off the bench. 100th international cap, so tip the slipper to those boys. France physically dominated Ireland at times and looked ridiculous. Dupont was great. They're the only team left that can win a Grand Slam, so they get a mention in the good. London Irish, we just spoke about them in the Premiership Roundup. They had a massive victory down at Bristol's, so a big shout-out to those boys. Wasps, another win, eh? Another win, they get a mention. Bonus point win at home. Alfie Barbary scored as well, so good news from them. But the good this week, Jim, is going to go to a place where... No one ever thought this was possible. Italy under-20s are going to get the good this week. They beat England 6-0, so we're not talking how great the game was, but it's the first time they've ever beaten England and the first time that England under-20s have ever been nilled as well. So the good this week goes to Italy under-20s. The bad. Uh, a few bits of bad. We'll start off in Toulouse. They went down 29-28 at home to Stade Francais in the top 14, and that's five straight defeats now in a row. 
in the top 14, so not good for them. I mentioned it just before, Bristol's shipping 49 points at home to London Irish. Something isn't quite right there. Uh, and I'm just wondering whether Pat Lamb can turn it around because he signed a seven-year deal and things haven't been as rosy as they were last season down there. So we shall see. What else was bad, Jim? We'll go to Scotland, Jim. Another false dawn. They talked about the Grand Slam. I say they. Jim Hamilton talked their Grand Slam chances up. They've gone to Wales and their discipline was poor. They didn't show up to the races as well as they liked. Finn Russell gives a silly pennant away and a yellow card. Cost them dearly. So the bad this week goes to Scotland, James. Fairer. Uh, then the ugly, three bits of ugly, and we've spoken about two of them in depth. Firstly, the other one we didn't mention, Rockin' Nagoonie's red card. Bit of a high shot into the face of a player, so he gets mentioned in the ugly. But for me, two bits of ugly. One, referee Damon Murphy, we spoke about it. He rushed the medics to make a decision surrounding Jack Noel and his HIA, which meant he stayed on before officially being called off for HIA, which he subsequently failed and didn't come back on the field. So first and foremost, we hope Jack Noel is okay. Secondly... Damon Murphy, you need to learn your lesson and not rush that process and put the player first, which hopefully we will do. But for me, the ugly has to be the incident in the England under-20s game. And specifically, the physio asking for a red card, the doctor challenging the authority of the referee and the matchday doctor. A really bad look for England rugby, a really bad look for both the physio and the doctor, and something that should never come into question. If a decision is made around the safety of a player, by an independent match official uh, and an independent match doctor, then the player's safety has to be paramount and come first. So the England doctor and the England physio, you need to wind your necks in a little bit, put your hands up, say you're sorry, learn from your mistakes and never do it again. Thanks, Goody. And you guys have got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, some really sad news came out over the weekend with the death of Jack Jeffrey uh, from Evesham Rugby Club. So our thoughts are with all his family and friends and everyone at Evesham Rugby Club. He was taken to hospital after being injured in the Seniors League game against Berkswell and Borsall on Saturday, after being seriously hurt while scoring a try. He loved his rugby. He scored a hell of a try, apparently, at the weekend. And in the act of scoring the tackle, uh, he seriously injured himself. His dad, Glenn, said he died doing what he loved the most, and that's just playing rugby and scoring tries. But it's obviously had a massive shock to everyone, not only at Evesham Rugby Club and his family, but everyone around the world of rugby. So our best wishes and thoughts are with everyone who knew Jack, his friends, his family, and everyone at Evesham Rugby Club. Yeah, absolutely. Incredibly sad seeing that. On a slightly lighter note, we've got a shout-out to Malcolm Knox. I've seen him pop up on my feed sometimes on Twitter, I think, who listens to the pod in Vancouver. His wife has just had a baby earlier this month, and he's already listening too and loving the pod. So hello to Big Malk in Canada as well, and congratulations and good luck. I was always going to say from here on the rugby pod, we've got a few kids, and there'll be a few more on the way once Andy Rowe puts the ring on it. That sounds so harsh though, doesn't it? Once Andy Rowe gets married to his beautiful, stunning wife, there'll be more kids as well. So we can talk about how that is. So Malcolm, good luck and well done. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, producer Tristan. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify as well. Rugby spot. Spotify pod, 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 pod. pod.